Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Welcome to the Xander Zone. The Xander Zone. And now that all our listeners know we're talking about triple X, because I mean, everyone knows that, right? Yeah, well, is it triple X or is it XXX? It's pronounced triple X, as I read okay. several times. Brilliant. In the movie, Samuel L. Jackson calls him Triple X. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. He would know if anyone knows. Yeah, well, you know, he's got more insight than us. Maybe even some others in the film. <laughs> um, well, welcome back to DVD Clutter. Yeah. The podcast where we are slowly but surely making our way through our old DVD collections. Because remember DVDs? That's so 2000. Paul is now holding up the copy of Vin Diesel's Triple X, which is the film we are looking at today, one of Paul's old films. He's dug out out of his massive collection of over 500 DVDs. And I guess our job is to decide. After a brilliant discussion, do I keep it? Do I op shop it? Or do I? Oh, there's so many options here. um... Sink it to the bottom of the river in Prague. Lock it in a chamber and release a chemical weapon. Leave it in an avalanche. Jump off a bridge with it and then parachute away at the last second. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then film it and put it on YouTube. Yeah. Or on my pirate website while I hang out with Tony Hawk. Yeah, totally. I have have to say this film, 2002 film we're talking about, Mm. because, you know, people might be confused because there's Triple X, the original one, which we are talking about, but then there's also Triple X State of the Union. And there's yep. also Triple X Return of Xander Cage. Yeah. Then there's also potentially Triple X number four. Yeah, which do you think they'll call 4X and get some sort of sponsorship deal with the beer? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> but uh, I can see how, how maybe in these hard economic times they might need to. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. So normally at this point in the podcast, for those who haven't listened before... Um, I'll talk about how this DVD came into my life. Mm, yeah. I guess um, we, we kind of just dove in straight into it. How are you, go- how are you going? Oh, I'm gone. Um, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, it's an exciting day. We're, it's on the Thursday before the Friday, which is the last day of working from home. For you, you get to actually go back face-to-face with your students next week. Are you excited? I'm very excited. And that's all you'll be saying because <laughs> some of them do listen. Yeah. So, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, it's we're still pretty exhausted. Things are still hard, but everyone's, I guess, struggling with the same things. Yeah. Anyway, if times. you hear an extra note of tiredness in our voice, you know what's happening. But um, this film was honestly a breath of fresh air. It, it really was. I sat on the couch of an evening and was laughing out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's that much fun. Um, what do you mean laughing? This is a serious film. It's a serious action picture. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Uh, look, this film was one... It and Fast and the Furious sort of melded into one of, imagine, 14-year-old Paul hanging out, having sleepovers with his mates. And this was yeah. one that sort of just was on in the background all the time, mixed with yeah. Fast and the Furious. So much so that really they all melded into one and we were too busy landing Age of Mythology to really pay attention to anything going on. Man, you were cool back then. What happened? That's it. Yeah, I know, right? So the plot really, I guess, could have been new to me. But also there's not a lot of it, so I felt 
All right. I had like flashbacks while watching this movie about like having arguments. Um, there's this scene, for those who haven't seen it, right at the start where Vin Diesel gets in a fight, believe it or not, but this time he's in a fake <laughs> diner and um, he smashes one of the guy's heads into the coffee pot. And I yeah. just remember having like an argument with like my 14-year-old friends being like, oh, that would hurt so much more because you'll get coffee in it. No, that's not coffee. That's like lemon. It's not coffee. Um, oh, you burn from lemon? the coffee as well. You know, like lemon stings when you get it in a cut. Oh, I thought you and, meant, I thought one of your friends was arguing that there was lemon in the coffee pot. I was no, like, what? but you know, I just remember having arguments like that about scenes yeah, okay. like that. And um, about really little plot details that don't yeah, really matter. That's it. And really loving lines such as, I live for this shit, which Jesus <laughs> says as he jumps out of a plane. Paul, that explains why you've got that tattooed across your back. Yeah. Also, <laughs> living up to the name of all 14-year-old boys too, being very excited by the prospect of see-through goggles that he gets. Uh, yes. At one stage yes, of this yes. movie. Um, yes, we, we, we will discuss. Yeah. Um, but that's how it came about. Um, the interesting thing about my copy, which I'll go into now, and, and this was a bit of an issue for those who can remember DVDs in their heyday. <laughs> oh, dear. Who do you think our audience is? Well, no, like, DVDs in their heyday and was buying DVDs in their heydays. I think things changed. I'm talking about right that peak window where DVDs were, like, crazy, going gangbusters. Which was, what, probably around this time, 2002, yeah. right? Yeah, or maybe maybe a bit later, I think, when I would have been getting into this, which I think would have been, like, 2005, 2006. And yeah. there were just so many different editions of films yeah. on DVD, especially ones that came out in the early 2000s. And they all sort of been, like, triple X... Xanderzone Edition, Triple X Avalanche Edition, right? Triple X Collector's Edition, and lo and behold, what happened with this one is I've got the case for Triple X the Collector's Edition, but the person who put it in at Sanity has actually put <gasps> in the wrong disc, and I've got disc one of Triple X the Definitive Director's Cut. Oh, that's great, actually, for you. Yeah, so all the special features that advertised are on the back are different to the special features that are actually on my disc. versions did they do? That's so... That's that's just too over the top. Yeah, I don't know. The one that I've got here, I think the packaging would have been for one of the original releases before they knew that there was going to be Triple X State of the Union. Yeah. Because a lot of the special features on this are ads for State of the Union, um, a little bridging Mm. film between part one and part two. Yes, I read about that. Yeah, well, you know, you might be able to watch it if you can get your hands on this. <laughs> but it was it was an issue because, you know, yeah. the 16-year-old working at Sanity does not give a fuck if, you know, you get the right triple X edition from no, the bargain bin. they should because you could be a really disgruntled customer and go back and be like, rah, 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 and then that's like $30 out of their pay. Yeah. I, I could have been that disgruntled customer because I had to sit through an extra... 20 minutes of Triple X. Oh, because it was the director's cut. (laughs) (gasps) I wonder what you saw that I didn't see because I watched it on Stan. I think some nipples. Did you see many nipples? I didn't see enough nipples, honestly. Yeah, I think as was the case with a lot of um, like these action movies or teen boy based comedies, the director's cut or extended edition that would come out would just have one topless scene in it or someone saying fuck. Um, And that was just Mm. because in the US saying fuck or having a topless woman would get you to the R rating, so that bit would mm. be quickly cut out. But then to sell the yep. DVD, they really wanted to um, target a market that would be interested in that. So you're telling me that sometimes nudity is not necessary to tell a story? 
Believe it or not, they weren't crucial parts to the story. That's a shock. Game of Thrones, I think, is different. <laughs> yes. We will get there. We will get there. <laughs> I was thinking about Game of Thrones the other day because I was like, what are we going to do next? And I've got, I think, three series of Game of Thrones sitting in my DVD collection. I'm excited. I was kind of missing it the other day. Yeah. No, it's going to be an exciting time. So, when do you actually remember, did you go and buy this? This wasn't a present or something, you went and bought this yourself. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was with birthday money. So, I have this memory mm. from watching Triple X many, many years ago, and I couldn't remember much about the film, vaguely remembered kind of the plot. But one of the enduring memories was of him being sent three strippers or two or three strippers who had like stripping poles that they put up in the room or something. So maybe that wasn't from this movie. That is a different film, but I can understand your um, confusion. That could have happened in this film. Well, it almost happened in this film. There is a scene where he sent a sex worker, we ass- well, who we assume is a sex worker, to yeah. reward him. In the least fire-safe room ever. It just has candles everywhere. Who the fuck lit all those candles? Is that part of her job? I hope she gets paid extra for that. <laughs> yeah, I was just worried it was all going to go up in flames because there's a lot of hardwood and a lot of, like, those drapey curtains going yeah, on. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Warm, though. You know? Would it? Oh, I don't know. The <laughs> ceilings were so high in that place, I've just got no That's idea. That's why you need the candles. <laughs> yeah, that was like super romantic for having mm. sex with someone you just met. For what? What's his line? The things I do for my country. <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh, what a line. Mm. So I guess I'll give you, well, not you, Paul, but our dedicated listeners, I'll give you a bit of a rundown of the plot. Yeah. Just in case you haven't watched it 10 million times when you were 14 or 15. So it is an action film starring Vin Diesel. It's very much the quintessential kind of Vin Diesel-esque film, right? And Mm. it follows Vin Diesel as Xander Cage, who is like an extreme sports addict. Addict. Who's, yeah, very much not a law-abiding. He kind of does whatever the hell he wants just for the sake of a good stunt. But he does like, you know, some of his stunts make a statement. So the first time we meet him, mm-hmm. which is pretty much right at the start of the film, we, there is one other opening sequence which kind of establishes that there's some spy espionage thriller going on, which is actually an, a great scene. And we'll talk about that later because Ramstein is playing. Okay. There's fire. You know, it's what a way to start a film. What a way to start yeah, a film. Yeah. That's in... Prague. We cut back to America and we are introduced to Vin Diesel who steals a car from this rich senator. It was very much established as a bit of a prick because he's just yelling at everyone. He kind of, he says to to Vin Diesel, do you even speak English? Like, hurry up. You know, like he's just a real piece of work. So Xander Cage jumps in his Ferrari or whatever car it is. It's red. He like drives it off and then there's this massive crazy car chase with the police and everything. Then he flies it off a bridge. and But all the while he's doing this, you can see he's talking into a camera. He's got like a camera taped to the front windscreen of the car. And so he flies it off a bridge. He kind of parachutes away to safety and the car explodes in flames. However, magically, the film is fine. Because it's in crash cams. Exactly. Thank you. So that's how we introduced to him. And with this particular stunt, he is making a statement, a political statement about banning violent video games or something. And, oh, there was something else. It was, it was video games and it was this senator that he steals the car from. It's like anti-video yeah. games and anti-skateboarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Xander's and, pro all yeah. that shit. Which yeah. I was like, cool. Why didn't you make it about like immigration or something that's actually worth fighting for? <laughs> I mean, not saying that I think, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of expression... I'm all for that. It's fine. But I was like, 
I just thought that was a bit of a weak political statement. If you they wanted to, they wanted to kind of set him up as <laughs> as like a, like a bad guy, but with a good heart, I guess. Yeah, we're in for a bad time if that's that's your first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's it was an interesting one. Anyway, so that's him. So he's like this ultra cool guy. You find out he's got an ongoing kind of TV show. I don't know what is it. It's on. TV, but on some hidden channel or something. These days it would be on YouTube. Yeah, he seems to make his money through doing these stunts and I guess getting subscribers to pay him. He's, he's very got a, well he's off. Got, yeah, he's, he's wealthy. He's got a, um, an agent who essentially kind of runs his life and wants him, you know, runs what he's going to do and helps him put all this stuff together. So he goes back after doing that stunt and he goes back to this huge celebration party that his agent has thrown for him. With Tony great. Hawk. Tony, Tony Hawk's there. <laughs> Apparently there are lots of other extreme sports stars there. I personally would never recognise any of them. I didn't even recognise Tony Hawk. Laura was like, hey, that's Tony Hawk. But I had no idea. I recognised him this time, but I didn't. I had no idea that he was in it when I was a kid, which is weird because like one of the other computer games I would have been playing while this was on would have been Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. So, yep. you know, it, it was less pixelated in this, I imagine. <laughs> yes. There's the problem. Mm. Um, I heard this great story about Tony Hawk where he was like skating at this skate park and or he wasn't even skating he was just standing there I think watching or something and um, this kid came up to him and was like oh do you skate or whatever like being a bit of a little know-it-all and he was like yeah yeah I skate a bit and then he was like oh what's your name and he said my name's Tony and the kid was like oh like Tony Hawk and then like skated off <laughs> and then Tony Hawk was like uh yeah I guess so <laughs> Because his name is so well known, but his face is less so. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a big nose. Anyway, does he? Yeah, see, I didn't mm. even know that. Anyway, party's going great. Everything's great. Suddenly the lights go out and there's like these full on, what do you call it? Squat team. Raid squad. Squat team. Thank you. I just said squat team. It's not yeah. the squat team. <laughs> oh dear. The full on squad team just like straight away in there. He's like, what? You can't get me on anything. I haven't done anything wrong. And then he's shot with a dart and he blacks out. He wakes up yep. next morning. Oh, I should say, we, meanwhile, we've kind of, we've had this like opening scene where we figure out that some kind of evil doing is happening in Prague and the American government is trying to kind of understand what's happening. So we get introduced to Samuel L. Jackson as Gibbons, Gibbons, who is the kind of special agent who's in charge of running this investigation into whatever is happening in Prague. Well, what he's running is he's running a wing of the NSA who, like, back in 2004 when I was watching this, I would have no idea what the NSA is. They could have made it up. And then these days, like, everyone knows about the NSA. I don't really know what the NSA are now. They're the ones that were, like, accused of spying on everyone. The um, National Snowden Security stuff. Agency. Yeah. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah. Anyway, so we know there's kind of two parts of this story that are going to come together. It's going to be brilliant. We've got Xander Cage extreme sports enthusiast and superstar and then we've got the nsa who really need some kind of agent who fits in with the bad guys what's gonna happen paul that's right they get together Mm -hmm. so it turns out the nsa have kidnapped xander cage they've drugged him he wakes up in a diner and some shit goes down the diner he smashes a few heads and proves that he knew that it was a test in the first place therefore passes the first test and gets put into this next test which is um, getting dropped into a drug cartel somewhere south of the border. In Colombia. Yeah, Colombia. That's right. They do say, don't they? Yeah. And he thinks it's all fake again. He's making jokes. 
when suddenly the Colombian army comes in just as he's about to be tortured and everything goes yep. crazy. Yeah, and the Colombian um, drug lord who is about to torture him is Mr. Machete Man himself. Danny Treasure. Thank you. Is that his, is that, his name? Is that how you pronounce his last yeah, name? Yeah, that's his name. Great. Very recognisable with a machete in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He gets out of that. He, it is, it turns out that it is real. Shit gets really full on, but he manages to, you know, ride a motorbike over a strategically placed piece of metal that's on a car that leads up to a roof and jumps off, you know, just the normal, the normal kind of way that you would escape from the um, Colombian drug cartel. But on the way, he also tries to save another test subject who, like him, has been recruited to, to be, to see if he can um, become useful for the NSA. So our hero survives all of that and is a star pupil and Gibbons is very pleased with him and decides to he's going to be the one he's going to send him off to Prague. So off he goes to try and infiltrate this underworld organization which we don't really know what they're up to but obviously it's no good. And they're called Anarchy 99. Yeah he manages to do that pretty easily within the first you know 10 minutes or so he earns their trust um, unfortunately, he does it by ratting out a the police chief of Prague who has led him there. But, you know, that's fine. Obviously, how else is he going to get in? He's, like, full of swagger. It's great. He's just like, yeah, rah, rah, whatever. They talk about cars. It's all cool. He orders some cars from them. That must be something to do with their illegal activities, whatever. That kind of whole shtick goes on for a while. So you introduced the character of Yelena, who is played by Asia Argento. Brilliant who is the girlfriend, in quotation marks, of the leader of the Anarchy 99 gang. He obviously thinks she's great. They have some nice sexual chemistry, blah, blah, blah. I don't really know how to do the rest of the film, so let me just go real quick. Yeah. So essentially Xander figures out that they are developing this biochemical warfare to just create anarchy. So the the idea behind their whole group is that they want to essentially just kill off a bunch of people. They're going to put this chemical into a little capsule. They're going to put it in this weird little submarine thing. They're going to send it around. It's going to drop off this chemical bomb in different places and lots of people are going to die, thus creating anarchy. So obviously the world's going to end and they've got to stop it. So he... Vin Diesel or Xander Cage goes, you know, tries to do what he can. It's all great. He figures out that Yelena was actually a spy for Russia, but then Russia just decided to shut down her mission and just leave her there. Classic Russia. <laughs> so that was <laughs> classic Russia. So she was kind of stuck there. She didn't know how to get out, but they start to kind of work together. There's some great scenes that we'll talk about later, eventually culminating in him parachuting onto the the boat slash submarine to try and stop it he's like how do i do this how do i do this eventually figures out that it needs to be submerged in water he manages to do it and everything's fine then the end yeah i think you did very well there oh yeah for those of you who might be a little bit confused don't be there's bad guys in russia they want to kill people he stops them that's that's oh, not in russia in prague oh sorry in prague my, my mistake they, they were Russian, though. They're in the Czech Republic, yeah. but they are Russian. But, um, yeah, and then, yep. obviously, Xander just kills it. He's a great NSA agent. Yeah. Then he's in Bora Bora, sipping some cocktails with his new girlfriend, Yelena. Yep, that's that's it. Then we had a pretty cool um, credit sequence, like 3D hearts and skulls and dragons. Oh. Yeah. I'd have forgot that. Yeah, worth... Well, no, not really worth watching the credit sequence, but... 
So, Paul, this was watching it for the first time, probably paying attention. Mm. How was it? Um, yeah, look, it was a bit confusing because I thought that bit at the start where he's doing all those trials to become the triple X agent, I thought that was at least 50, if not 60% of the film. Mm. I thought a lot of it was about him getting to that point and then he basically went to Russia and stopped the baddies. Czech Republic. He, oh, sorry. Yeah, he <laughs> went to the Czech Republic and stopped those baddies. <laughs> Geography is the main thing I'm here for, to correct you geographically. That's it. As you were saying with your plot, there's a lot sort of at that front end that sort of sets up everything. And then for the last hour and a half of a two-hour film... Mm. It is just finds baddies, stops mm-hmm. baddies. Yeah. With some very impressive action sequences. Yeah. But um, there's not a lot that goes on in there. Um, yes, this is a 14-year-old's film. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. There's nothing in there that's going to um, draw anyone in, I think, who's older than that. Apart from, you know, wanting to just kick back, relax, and have a laugh, as you might with one of these action films. Mm. A lot of the characters that are set up to be cool guys in the early thousands are no longer cool guys and are not acting in ways that make you feel super comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we can we can notice that now. Mm. What else did I write? Oh, and the other thing that really got me was the way that Vin and Asia kiss in this. It's, just, it's really gross kissing to watch. Did you find that? I think I looked away, to be honest. Like, it's really sort of like grabbing each other's lips with their... Like, it's really... It wasn't wasn't nice. It's hard to describe, but it it is off-putting. It's not... Because sometimes you can watch a kiss on screen and it's it's not bad. This is like... Yeah, it's it's not nice. Not nice at all. And they do it a couple of times. I agree. Oh, you kind of feel embarrassed for them. It's like someone kind of... Yeah. Anyway, um, that really stood out Uh, for me. Maybe they hated each other. Yeah, could be. Apart from that... Apart from the really offensive bits, I guess it was inoffensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I agree. you get what you pay for. Um, a memory that comes to mind while watching it too was I remember. So there's this one joke that one of the bad guys, the like chief sniper, uh, is always smoking, and yes. Vin Diesel's while he's in with the bad guys says, "Oh, you know, smoking will kill you one day." And then later, Vin happens to find a heat-seeking bo- uh, bazooka, yeah, heat-seeking rocket launcher. Yeah, that's it, and um launches it at him because he's smoking and yep. says the line told you smoking would kill you but i just remember talking to dad about this film and really painstakingly explaining that joke even oh, you're like dad you have to understand the guy yeah. liked smoking yeah in an explanation that, that that took even more time than my explanation this time um, <laughs> yeah that came Your flooding dad, back to me you know sometimes you realize the things you did that must have seemed so silly or immature or when you realize something for the first time and your parents are like yeah you know when they're like yeah, yeah. life is like that <laughs> you're like oh actually they had a fair bit of patience with me i guess that's it and yeah very much so watching this film um there's a lot of those moments of me realizing how immature i was <laughs> <laughs> what did you think I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 We were a bit shocked when we turned it on and saw how long it went for. Because it goes for like over two hours. And we were a bit like, oh, fuck, another long movie. But it went so fast, Paul. And I wasn't bored once. No, it's really just action set piece after action set piece with some sort of 
heavy-handed dialogue in between. Yeah, but I feel like I've watched action movies before and I've gotten bored. Some long action movies can definitely be boring. Like, I think there was something about this particular action film or there are lots of action films that still that grab you and this just happened to be one of them. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Vin Diesel's toned, muscular body. <laughs> I think it's also... It manages to sort of um, walk the line very well on... All, all the big set pieces are ridiculous, but they're not quite too ridiculous. And I don't, I don't know the formula to get that right, but they just sort of touch it every, every scene. Yes. Yeah, and some of them are, are legitimately, like, bring your heart rate up. Mm. So some of them are legitimately impressive and kind of reminded me of that opening scene in Fast and Furious with the, I got the green glue under my car. Yeah. You know, that scene. Action sequences that are done really well and that are pacey and that are entertaining are just so great. You can just, you know, relax into it. It's, you know, just it's really fun. I love the opening scene of this. Like, what a way to start a film. Like I said before, the opening scene, it was a, a bit of an homage to um, 007 films yeah. because you've got this spy in a full tuxedo but he's he gets killed within the first like five minutes and i think from my reading it's kind of a bit of a a way to move the the spy genre into a bit of more of a modern grungy-esque genre yeah and i think there was very also much very Very also also much (laughs) there was also very much a feeling of sort of like they're the british spies that's a british spy movie that james bond stuff this is how america does it it's with extreme sports yeah Um, and even like yeah. not even just this is how America does it. This is how real America does it. Like this is how bottom of the rung of the ladder, you know, the the real man on the street, yeah. salt of the earth, whatever, whatever. And it's the not youth, like because they've got their internets and their skateboards. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, and they know. Yeah, there's this great scene that reminded me of like me as a teacher identifying with Gibbons, where so Gibbons is given. Xander a list of cars that he wants to order and Xander just is like no I'm not ordering those cars they'll know immediately that I'm a spy so he chooses his own cars to order because he's like you know down with the kids or whatever and I feel like that's Gibbons is me trying to (laughs) reach the youth (laughs) this is what this is my version of what I think you think is cool and they're just like no that's not cool I'll tell you what's cool I like that. Yeah, look, got a few notes. Yeah, well, I think we we can start with the Gibbons character. I think getting Samuel L. Jackson. That's um, a really that's a pretty big out. win. Yeah. Yeah, um, he adds a believability to an unbelievable story, and it was really weird watching one of the special features, listening to um, Vin Diesel talk about working with Samuel L. Jackson, because you forget that Vin Diesel's like an actor, not like a stunt man, movie star <laughs> thing. Yeah, because he was like. It was so great working with Sam because he's a New York theatre actor and I'm a New York theatre actor and we have this sort of language that we can really bounce off each other with. Yeah, you do not think of him as a New York theatre actor. What the fuck? Yeah. No. Yeah. And also, I feel like Sam's doing a lot of that heavy lifting in a lot of these scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Not literally, though. Vin Diesel's definitely doing the literal heavy lifting. (laughs) On the same point, I did write down while I was watching it, at some point, get Vin an Oscar. Yeah. Um, which, which particular scene uh, made you... No, but I can just see it would just be the ultimate Oscar story, like one year. You put him in some sort of supporting role yeah. where he's sort of like a tough guy, but, you know, I don't know, likes the ballet and cries. <laughs> and then I think everyone would get behind him. This man can get an Oscar. All right. Well, look, I'll petition for it. I don't know how yeah. I can help, but let me know and I'll do it. 
Make it happen. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think I've said most of my my kind of comments before when I was talking through the plot, but it would have been great if it was like a human rights cause that he was doing that stunt for. I thought it would have added a little bit more credibility to his character. Maybe that's a modern interpretation or maybe that's just a Beck interpretation of how it should be. I don't know. It, it very much feels like, yeah, um, trying to, again, get down with the kids by putting in those particular causes, like the way that he talks to the camera about this senator doesn't like video games. Yeah. Well, guess what I do? Because yeah. I'm a cool guy. Yeah. Um, but also, like, yeah. you can be a cool guy and fight for better causes than that. Yes, but I just think the, the tone of this film, which is... You know, Hans Molman dressed up as Bart Simpson. You don't get that reference. No. But um, the tone of this movie is, isn't is real cool young people. It's very much old white guys trying to pretend what they know what cool young people want. Yes, that's true. And, and it suffers from that throughout. And as soon as you sort of like... Which, luckily, they give you this scene early on. So you can really just be like... Okay, cool. This is where we're going with yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, um, that's one of the best things about it as well. Yeah. You know exactly what you're in for. Which I think is why it's so that's relaxing. Hmm. You can settle in right from that very start. You're like, cool, this is being, like, this is a product of the studio system. Yeah. I'm sure it sold a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for that poor bumbling Czech policeman who gets sold out. You know, he brings he brings <laughs> um, Vin Diesel or Xander to the club owned by Anarchy 99. And immediately Xander's like, hey, that guy's a policeman. Let me into your cool gang. And they're like, sure. Yep. yep. Um, and then he turns bad in the end. Yeah. I felt like it's almost like the film felt the same way as you did. Like, sort of like, oh, we've given this guy a real hard time. Because not only does he get sold out by Xander, but Xander, to prove his worth to Anarchy 99, shoots this cop with these special bullets that are designed to not kill someone, but make it look like they've been shot. Yeah. But still, it's pretty traumatic for this guy. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. the film was kind of like, oh, we've kind of treated this guy too badly we better make him a bad guy too. yeah he needs like, his, right he needs his heyday yeah because he turns up for like half a second and goes oh by the way i'm bad now and vin's like oh no so Elena and it's like what him. it's like five <laughs> minutes before the end of the film as well it's like go yeah. go go comes out of nowhere and yeah which actually that kind of leads into nicely to another one of my favorite aspects which has always been in i'm not a huge James Bond fan, but I've always loved seeing the gadgets and the, you know, bits and pieces that he gets set up with by that person. Oh, Q in James yeah, Bond. Yeah, Q. So there is a Q equivalent in this movie. So it is very much drawing from the the whole James Bond spy thriller yeah. genre. But I thought that was fun. You've got this, like, young, obviously hyper smart, like crazy intelligent um, inventor making these awesome gadgets for Xander Cage to use. He's he reminded me a bit too much of like a a bit of a 15-year-old boy. Like he was a bit he was kind of like the 15-year-old boy equivalent like yep. watching the film, but he's watching this stuff in real life play out in his life and he's like, "Whoa, Xander Cage is so cool." Blah, 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 you know, like, like and they write that character perfectly as a 15-year-old boy. But then earlier in the film, when there actually is a 15-year-old boy, they write it so stilted and shit. That bit when he's on the plane? Or was this in the director's cut? Yeah, I don't remember that. He's on the plane and he's on a little computer and a kid walks past and goes, what game are you playing? And he goes, it's called Anarchy 99. Oh, no. I didn't did not see that part. Well, I'm glad they cut it out, this 14-year-old kid. And the kid's like, oh, you know, sometimes when you beat a game, you actually learn something about yourself. I hope this help happens to you while you're playing this game. And Vin's like, 
Mm. God, that sounds terrible. It was really awful. And this kid just like looks like he's got no idea what he's doing. Vin's got no idea. But I'm glad that that was just, just director's cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It obviously meant something to the director, but no one, no one else cared. The only other thing that I have, which might lead into a bigger discussion, is the, the penetrate goggles. Yeah. Which you mentioned before, which are these <laughs> glasses that this, this um, inventor has created, who is essentially a 15-year-old boy, which penetrate through bricks and walls and they everything. Can see but through more anything. importantly, yeah. more importantly, they penetrate women's clothing. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, how do they know where? How do the penetrating goggles know where to stop? <laughs> Look, I, I'm gonna. You know, like, I'm gonna be honest, Beck. I don't think the science is quite there yet. Okay. But look, these goggles they do come in handy later in the film where he can see into the secret lab. But it is just and that was one of the one of the bits where I was laughing out loud because it's just they're not marketed to Vin as a device that will help you see into like different rooms. They're very much like, Hey, you can look at women naked now. Yeah, through their clothes. Or even like because it feels like they sort of felt weird about that on a censorship mark. So he's very much sort of like you can see women in their underwear. Like Yes, it was totally... Exactly. That's what I meant. Like, okay, so it goes through the brick wall, but it goes yep. through her top layer of clothes, but somehow it knows to stop Mm-mm. at the underwear. Too rude. <laughs> Too rude. I mean, that is some really yep. hardcore programming. And that yeah. scene where he uses them at the end to look through the brick wall into the secret lair to find out what the baddies are up to before he, like, runs in and saves the day... That seems like it was added in yeah. just to be like, legitimize those goggles. <laughs> yeah. And oh, geez, know your limits, Vin, too. Because like that scene is just ridiculous. This scene, all these people are dying. All these people are being poisoned. And they keeps on going to shots of um, Vin Diesel reacting to seeing all these people yep. die. And it basically is just like Jeff Daniels in Dumb and Dumber, where he's got the melted candy bar. It's him going like, Whoa, yes, oh, it is. Oh. <laughs> yes. You know, and you're just it like, is totally oh. like that. I think that's one of the worst scenes in the film because he's kind of stuck in this. He's stuck in this weird little room, watching all these terrible things happen, and he's not doing anything. And it's just cutting between his him making those faces and these people yeah. dying and using the penetrating goggles, and none of it really makes sense or is coherent. No. And then it's interspersed with Yorgi, the main bad guy, in his awful, awful Russian accent. <laughs> ah, yes. Now I understand why they call it Silent Night. Because everyone dies and they're silent. <laughs> like, it's just... It's, um, it's awful. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Anyway, those penetrating goggles things just really... We learn about the concept of the male gaze, right? At film school. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we try and teach it to our students in our media studies classes. If you don't know, to our listeners, the male gaze is the idea that the viewer is placed in the position of a heterosexual male um, through the use of the camera. And the camera is kind of used to objectify whatever it's looking at, specifically most of the time women. So you generally, as a viewer, you are seeing women through the eye of a heterosexual male, which means there's lots of emphasis on boobs and the way they look and, you know, that slow pan up from the leg to the top, to the top of the woman. <laughs> what's on What's on top of a yep. woman, Paul, a head? <laughs> I wouldn't know. It's not part of the male gaze. Exactly. <laughs> is that is that a good enough summary of the male gaze? I think so. I think we've, we discussed it a few times on this episode. Listen to the back catalogue if you're still confused. On this podcast, yeah. So yeah, anyway... Yeah. 
I just feel like this, yeah, this is the male gaze is a concept that we try and teach to people. We try and understand as viewers ourselves um, and as filmmakers in, you know, in the filmmaking industry, there's constant attempts to try and rectify this obsession that we have and this not just obsession, but I guess it's a pattern and it's it's something that's become the norm when, you know, even even heterosexual female filmmakers are making films using the male gaze because that's just a way that we have been taught and a way that we have been socialized to think about what we see on screen and how we should view women and men differently but this film just I bet they did this on purpose as well you know it was an ironic take on making something that's intangible tangible through the use of these penetrating goggles it was just like are you having trouble understanding the male gaze here use these goggles yeah, I don't know if they're that smart, but it is. Per- it is a perfect. No, um, that was that was me being sarcastic, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is just an absolutely perfect representation of it. And I feel like film studies could really learn from Triple X to just yeah. be like, guys, <laughs> we've got male gaze here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is it. This is it. And this is it. Yeah. Anyway, I really enjoyed watching this film and it just made me want to kind of counterbalance it with a really good female-led action film as well. So I went on a bit of a search to think about. And the first one I could think about, I want to ask you actually, Paul, what's the first one that comes to your mind when I say female-led action film? Um, that Salt movie with Angelina Jolie. Oh, that's so interesting. Laura and I both thought of, actually with Angelina Jolie, but we both thought of Tomb, Tomb Raider. Raider. Yeah. Which then yeah. we both went, oh, yeah. no, that's definitely... It's like, <laughs> oh, she's so sexualized as well. Anyway, so I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I mean, I think we're, we're getting better. Yeah. There's a whole other discussion to be had about how, how film treats female action heroes and how to kind of legitimize them and make them hardcore we have to defeminize them in a way um, and try and make them a bit androgynous like you might see in um, Star Wars for example or Marvel or, or Mad Max Fury Road yeah I don't know what do you mean with Marvel I don't know I was just thinking of other fem- female-led action movies <laughs> oh I mean because some of the female-led action superhero films are really uh, the female superheroes are pretty sexualized a lot of the time yeah um, I think they're getting the a lot more better modern with it, but ones. Yeah. yeah, like Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. I think things are changing a little bit there. Yeah, I think you're right. And it is always something to keep at the top of your mind, I guess, when you yeah. watch something historically. Yes, definitely. Or even currently. Like, I think yeah. the, the male gaze is just so prevalent that um, it's one of those insidious things that you don't realise half the time, but you expect women to be presented in a certain way that you don't hold that same kind of expectation for men and yeah and i just think it's so i just think the whole concept is so interesting like how do we why do we have to de-gender a female to make her be taken seriously as an action hero is there a way that we can have both a feminine and a serious action hero what is feminine what is masculine what is everything that's just it and i think more importantly is asking those questions while you're making it rather than just falling into cliches which um you know what triple x does (laughs) (laughs) Does it? Uh, uh. Um, <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> Should we talk about some of the some of the makings of or the kind of behind yeah. the scenes? I, I will just quickly stuff. talk about this film. Unfortunately, didn't get a lot of awards um, mm. talk, but it did win one Razzie. Well, no, it lost one Razzie award. It was only nominated yes. for one. Um, mm. uh, it was something like most obviously teen targeted film, right. and it lost and that it lost too. out to Jackass. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another classic. Yeah. 
I hope you don't have that one. No, I don't. But I can. You can definitely see how this and Jackass would fall into the same category. I think yes, targeting totally. the exact same target target market. Yes, definitely. The makings of. So I lost out because if I had the actual disc that my DVD case says I should have, I would have had two featurettes on two of the big action sequences from the film. There was a featurette mm. on uh, blowing up the mountain. Mm. and the cars behind Triple X. But they weren't on this DVD. Instead, I had a behind-the-scenes featurette and a scene from Triple X, State of the Union. That's it. Oh, there was one behind-the-scenes thing where it just sort of talked to the actors, and that's where I got that great line about Vin talking about being a New York stage actor. And yeah, that's, um, that's a bit disappointing. Yeah, and sort of the producers saying... Basically, like, very thinly masked. Man, we're onto a great idea here for money making. <laughs> Not for art? Yeah, no, it was just basically, like, because it was from the guy who directed Fast and Furious and some of the producers, and it was very much like, we can just keep making basically the same film with this guy forever now. Yeah, but um, he didn't do State of the Union. No. Rob Cohen, the guy who directed this, uh, turns out to be a dick, like many of the men in Hollywood. Um, and Yes, I've, I think the first note on my podcast notes is directed by Rob Cohen, sexual abuse allegations. Yep, and I'm glad to hear that he hasn't done a lot of work since the allegations came out, which I think is so the he, way to go. He also directed Fast and the Furious. Um, yep. But what, so what, so how is that linked to Vin Diesel not being in, or did that just put a pause on the whole shebang or oh no i think that so the second film didn't have vin diesel in it because yeah he didn't want to do it at that time and they wanted to get something out the allegations hadn't come out yet um vin diesel was busy vin's a funny one i don't know if we talked about this on the fast and the furious oh no we didn't because a friend of the podcast nick messaged me a bit about vin diesel after fast and furious and told me basically vin diesel just loves making chronicles of riddick films which are those films that he does every five or so years that um no one can really explain why they exist (laughs) and it turns out it's because he really loves them Mm -hmm. and everything else he does goes into producing more chronicles of riddick films right that's all he does Fast and the Furious doesn't care. Can doesn't I make care. another Chronicles of Riddick film? Why then? No one sees them except for yourself. I don't care. I want a wide release. Maybe we should watch one. No, no. <laughs> I don't want to ruin that mystery. Okay. Have, have you seen any of the other Triple X's? Um, no, I haven't seen any of them. Have you? Me neither. Ruby Rose is in the most recent one. Oh, is she really? Yeah. Great. Good old Australian. Yeah, she plays a sniper. I wouldn't be opposed to watching another Triple X film. Oh, yeah. I've got some other bits and pieces. Do you want to hear some random facts? Yeah. Is it about Rammstein being in this movie at the start for whatever reason? What do you mean? That was the best. It was not about that. But do you want to talk about that more? Because I think we talked a little bit about it. What was up with that? Like... I just want to know how they got involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be good to know. But unfortunately, I don't have that information. I thought it was great. It was like just you're suddenly in hardcore punk scene. Is that punk? I don't know. What is that? It's a genre of music that's never included myself. One of my friends, her husband is into heavy metal. I think that's what that music is called. Mm. And he joined... A band one time and we went to see them and it was it was scary i was getting chills because there's literally like so much volume and ah coming out of these people when they are into it it was really full-on cool i yeah. mean yeah it's cool it's not my personal jam 
but it's other lots of other people's jam and that's great um and yeah. i think it set up the film really nicely i love the fire it was like yeah. it was kind of like a eurovision show right it was like being that's what <laughs> yeah I yeah and we're missing eurovision this year so there you go just watch the, that sequence watch <laughs> exactly so after we watched it uh, the first like little bit of research i did i came across rob cohen the sexual abuse allegations about him which are uh, made by his child, by his kid, which is so awful, and yeah. and apparently someone else as well. It's all allegations at this stage. I don't think there's been anything proven, um, but not great. There's also his kid has also said that Rob Cohn used to take them to sex workers when they were overseas in different countries because his kid is transgender and at that stage was you know presenting was assigned male at birth. So Rob, this was like Rob's attempt to turn in quotation marks his kid straight so he was like taking him to sex workers around the world to try and turn him straight which fucking hell like ah yeah yeah so awful pretty awful yeah and then next thing i learned i went and had a look at who asia argento who who plays yelena and because i kind of she was vaguely familiar but i couldn't really place her from any other films but the first thing i learned about her was that she was sexually assaulted by harvey weinstein during her career and Mm. became one of the leading figures in the me too movement but there are also sexual assault allegations against her alleging that she had sex with someone who was underage um i think 17 maybe yeah she's like obviously strenuously denied it but there's compelling i don't know from what i've read it looks like there's some text messages that have been seen and and published that aren't they're pretty damning you know against her just saying that she didn't know how old he was etc fuck i just i just wrote consent people fucking consent if you don't know how old your sexual partner or your soon-to-be sexual partner is why don't you ask them and if somebody who works for you or who can who you have power over and you're ah just you know like how hard is it yeah it's really awful i just think yeah anyway it's just it was just so depressing that i just watched this film and it was fun and it was like silly and made me laugh and it was over the top and then the first two things i looked up about the actors and the director behind it both were to do with sexual assault and abuse and it's just awful and people should stop the end yeah um, anyway, on to some other facts. Do you want to know some other facts? Yeah. This one's pretty sad. Oh, great. But one of the stunt... <laughs> <laughs> Just what we need. <laughs> this podcast was um, too light before. I think we need to get... Yep. I know. <laughs> um, one of Vin Diesel's stunt doubles died on the set of the film. Oh, God. That's... Yeah, yeah. So, I think apparently there was like 500 stunt doubles or stunt people, not yeah. doubles. There was about like about 500 stunt people involved in the film because obviously it's a action film, so heaps and heaps of sequences where they needed stunt people. Um, and this particular one was Vin Diesel's stunt double, and it was that scene right at the end of the film where he parachutes away from the exploding submarine at the last minute and there's that bridge and Yelena and Gibson are watching from the bridge and everyone's kind of going what the hell's going on so that scene that was his first take doing it and then they did a second take and he smacked into the side of the bridge and was killed on impact so that's isn't that crazy like yeah it's just I don't know what to say yeah it is it's really awful and I think anytime you hear about something like that yeah on any film it it really puts a mark against it um, which you know that no one was trying to get anyone injured and there's a lot of work that's put in to make stunt teams safe and it is an awful thing but yeah you do you do really hope that out of it at least there can be some sort of 
reassessing of what people are being asked to do and whether it's worth it. Mm. Yeah, because you do think entertainment is entertainment and it's not one of those industries that you would think is worth the loss of a life. No. Um, yeah, so that's always pretty awful. How to come back from that, Paul? Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know. So the avalanche scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is one that... It was clearly a, a set piece that they decided on. They didn't really have a plot point to get it in there, but they managed to just weasel it in. There's security cameras at the mansion that they're trying to infiltrate, and apparently for those security cameras to work, there needs to be this outpost antenna station, which doesn't make a lot of sense because the security cameras just feed into the security centre at the um, at the mansion. You'd think they would all just be wired up. But they need they to disrupt to the a, signal. Yeah, but anyway, they need to. Mm. So the only way to do this is causing an avalanche. Mm. And the only way to cause an avalanche instead of maybe shooting the side of a mountain, is to drop Vin Diesel out of a plane on a snowboard Mm. so he can skate down the mountain and throw explosives behind him and then race the avalanche down. Yes. It's the only option they had. Look, I'm sure they did a cost-risk analysis. (laughs) What is it called? Risk-benefits analysis. And yeah, that's the solution. So if that's what they came up with after that meeting, then that's it. And what a scene. It is. And it's just what the film needs at that moment. Just when it is starting to dip a bit. Yeah. um, They pull that out of just nowhere. And it's just great. I really, to be honest, forgot about it um, until watching it this time. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too, not because it was realistic, but because it was so over the top and so crazy. You yeah. were just like, what the fuck is happening? This is great. It's, it starts with him like giving this presenta- PowerPoint presentation, whatever, to a bunch of Russian cops. And he's like, oh, by the way, can anyone fly a plane? And then the woman standing next to him is like, I can. It also happens to be the woman they have penetrated with their penetrating goggles. <laughs> <laughs> so we know yeah. she's got good That's underwear it. on. And- and hasn't changed since then, sitting in the plane. He's like, it's pretty turbulent. He's like, I'm just going to jump out now. And then he just jumps out with a snowboard on. Yeah. It's, and he actually does amazing. a lot of his... He does a lot of his own stunts in this film. And he was snowboarding wow. in that scene a lot. Not that there was a real avalanche behind him, but he can snowboard. Yeah. And then, boom, goes the dynamite. He um, just sets off two charges over his shoulders and skates on down. While all his enemies get crushed on their snowmobiles. Yeah, which this is... I don't know. You're a physics teacher, Paul. Um, so yeah, you- <laughs> sure. The physics doesn't work. The end. I, I, just, I just don't... This analysis is futile, but we'll go into it. Yeah. I was just... I was just struck that he could outrun the avalanche on his skateboard and they couldn't outrun the avalanche on their snowmobiles. Oh, it's all about momentum. <laughs> yeah, but he's not that heavy. No, it's all momentum. Oh, okay. All right, well, that explains that. Thanks for clearing that up. Um, yeah. My little... And it's because of his bald head, too. It also <laughs> helped a lot with the aerodynamics. So this scene, apparently, he had was, like, sound engineered to the Mac. And I was reading this article Max. about it. And um, apparently Rob Cohen suggests that you should watch it once with the sound and once with the sound off so you can, like, see the difference that the sound makes. But apparently over 20,000 sound effects were added. Wow. Yeah. So you can imagine the sound mixing on that, which they are obviously yeah. like the, I mean, they probably thought the special effects were great at that time, but you know, they were like, what can we do to make sure the audience doesn't focus too much on the fact that this avalanche is clearly not real? Aha, uh-huh. yeah. we'll make it sound real. I think that is one of the um, big things that I think shocks a lot of people about 
any special effects driven film is how much how important the sound is and how much oh work God, goes into so the sound yeah. that really makes a scene. Rather than the visuals are important, of course, too. But if you can get the sound right, then um, the visuals can be lacking. Yeah, it's it's magic. Yeah. Editing is is magic. It is, and yeah, I think yeah, sound does do like Vin a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> yes, it certainly certainly does. But will I be lifting this heavy DVD off the shelf? Yes, and you'll be putting it in the upshot pile. Is my prediction correct? Yeah, you're right. Yes. Yep, it is. That's exactly where it's going. To the upshop. Someone's going to have a good laugh, good fun night with this. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then they can return it to the upshop. Basically, the upshop has now just become like Blockbuster, right? Because you can go there and for like a buck you can get a DVD and then you return it. But there's no it's... fees if you are late in returning it. That's it. Or if you decide that Dude Where's My Car needs to be destroyed. Well, yeah, you can take it off the shelves and keep it off the shelves. You can do a public service. That's it. So Triple X coming to a op shop near me. Um, <laughs> nice save. Unless someone wants this director's cut, then um, yeah, email us at dvdclutter@gmail.com. Yeah, it sounds like that scene between the Vin Diesel and that 15-year-old kid is really worth watching the director's cut for. Yeah. And the nipples, Beck. And the nipples. Oh, the nipples. I forgot about the nipples. Well, I think that's it for us for this week. That's it. So before we go, we better just check on what we're doing next week. It's time for your DVD, Beck. What are we doing? Well, I'm cheating again this week and not doing one of my DVDs, but I am doing one of Laura's DVDs, which has obviously ended up in our collective collection. And it is American History X, just for some cheer. That's it. Just for some happiness, some uplifting, you know. Now, is that uh, one of the prequels to Triple X? Because there's only one X? (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah, good. Yes, uh, correct. Yeah. Unfortunately, Vin Diesel's not in this one, but I'm sure he watched it for inspiration. Um, I've never seen American History X. It's a gap in my... um... Paul, me neither. Oh, really? Wow. Well, we're both going in blind, folks, so... Watch along. I'm sure it's on a streamer somewhere. I'm sure it is. And seeing as none of us have seen it before, I better get Laura in to give us a, um, a rundown of what she thinks of it now. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank um, Remember you. to follow along at DVD Clutter. Again. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I interrupt this broadcast with another message that I have not updated the Instagram for a while. So I am sorry. But you can go to DVD Clutter at Instagram, which is D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R. And you can follow us Mm -hmm. on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. And, you know, one day I'll get there and I'll put up some more images. In the meantime, feel free to send us an email or a DM. I haven't checked the email in a couple of weeks either too. So people might be wanting these DVDs. I better check that out. (laughs) Good idea. Um, But thanks again for listening. Sorry we haven't thought of a smooth sign-off yet. And we'll see you next week. You're exiting the Xander Zone.